As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and uh, before we get started with uh, this episode's guest, I just want to remind everybody, if uh, you have an experience or a story you want to share, uh, you can find us at the From the Shadows podcast on Facebook. You can find us at our forum page on Facebook called After the Shadows. Uh, you can get a hold of me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram or our From the Shadows podcast Instagram page. Or the good old-fashioned way, I guess that feels weird saying good old-fashioned way because it's more, it's not that really old-fashioned, but you can go to the fromtheshadowspodcast.com, hit the contact button, and send me uh, send me an email. And uh, I'll definitely read it and reach back out to you And uh, because we love to, have, uh, love to have guests on. And for those of you who do not subscribe to our Patreon page, if you want some extra content, Uh, every month and commercial free episodes uh, you can go check us out at patreon.com uh, just search from the shadows podcast so um, I'm kind of excited about this uh, this week's guest um, not be not only because he has a really cool first name um, but uh, he was just recently named Bigfooter of the year in the Bigfoot Times by our good friend and former guest uh, on the show, Daniel Perez. So with that, with those accolades, now pretend they're in bright, shining lights blinking behind him as he comes on. Uh, I want to welcome uh, Shane Carpenter to the show. Welcome to the uh, From the Shadows podcast, Shane. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, every, every month I, I wait for that that envelope that comes from California because I know it's uh, I know it's the uh, monthly newsletter called the Bigfoot Times which if uh, people don't know it or don't subscribe to it um, I, I would suggest checking it out it's got a lot of good uh, a lot of good stories and articles in it um, Daniel does a pretty good job putting it together um, but but this issue had you all over as as the as the Bigfooter of the year and um, I mean, I, I guess that's quite an honor. Hey, yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of shocked. I had no idea that, uh, I was even in the running for it. Um, 
I have, I'm familiar with the Bigfoot times, uh, actually a fan of it. There's a, if you're into this subject, uh, Daniel puts a lot of, a lot of information that you don't see, you know, out and, uh, out in the, the public side of this stuff that, you know, like online and whatnot. Um, he's been around for a long time. He's, you know, he's had conversations with all the big dogs in the past, I'm sure. And so he's, sure he's got a wealth of information in his head and and uh to to get nominated and you know just just being nominated would have been cool but to to be big footer of the year you know it was uh it it was an honor it was an honor yeah i mean i'm looking at the list and there's some um you know don keating uh renee de hinden uh Jeff, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Moneymaker, Bob Gimlin, <laughs> Cliff, uh, God, even Stacy Brown. Oh my gosh, Stacy Brown will be glad that we uh, told everybody he was Bigfooter of the Year. You'll <laughs> love that. Um, I mean, that's quite a list, and I mean, but there's a reason you guys, uh, the guys and girls that are on that list, are on there, and that's because you guys are doing, you know, have all done some really important uh research uh in the subject matter and i mean i i gotta be honest i had not heard much about you before reading this article and you know the little bit we've got to got to talk and get to, and got to know each other before the show i i mean i'm i'm super stoked for people to um uh, hear more about you and about what you're doing because uh it's pretty impressive and and not and i think everybody who's regular listeners of the show. And I mentioned to you, you know, uh, about our, uh, my partner, the Ozark Howler, who does, uh, we do episodes in the middle of the week. You're from pretty close to his neck of the woods. I think a dream, um, it would be, a, it'd be a dream foursome for uh, me to come to Missouri and get the Howler, who is the biggest skeptic around and, and meet you and your partner out and take them out there and where you guys are doing some research and maybe change, change his point of view a little bit. So, but right, right. with that being said, I mean, kind of tell us how, uh, how you got into the subject of Bigfoot and what, uh, you know, what, what led you to being the Bigfooter of the year? Yeah. Yeah. I want to take a step back real quick if we can. And I just want to say that, um, you know, a lot of the people that have been named Bigfoot of the year, um, they're they're fairly well-known people and um for several years i've been just kind of running under the radar and um like me and my partner randy harrington who rightfully so deserves half of the big footer of the year um because everything that that i've done he's been involved in and vice versa out on this property that we research on um but yeah, we've kind of been running under the radar for so long and uh, just doing our own thing. And uh, a lot of the a lot of the bigger names are on the West Coast, you know, and we're down here in southwest Missouri. And uh, we've just been quietly doing our own research, uh, trying to get the right people involved as far as academics. And um, and uh, it was. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't nice to to uh, get a little shout out, you know, from Daniel Perez. Um, you know, he's he's been kind of quietly keeping up with what we're doing, and uh, I think a lot of people were shocked because, you know, I, I, I seen in some of the 
Facebook pages and stuff that, uh, you know, people were going, who, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? You know? Uh, so, so that side of it was kind of cool, you know, and, um, it was, it was, it was just a good feeling to get some props from, uh, Daniel Perez and, uh, and, um, you know, it may be putting a little limelight on us at the moment, which is, uh, not a big deal, but it's not something we look for either. Like I said, we kind of like running under the radar, just doing our thing. Um, you know, we have a, like a, a host of uh, podcasts that we do just, you know, smaller podcasts and we're friends with the, uh, the people who run the podcast. And, uh, so we've, we've kind of stayed on the down and low, you know, purposely. Yeah. It's just, it's easier that way, I guess you could say. Oh, gee. Now, Hey, now that you're on this show, you are going to be known on every corner of the earth. Uh, and every <laughs> I was told that's what I was told. <laughs> oh boy. And and I will say this, like, as I read that list, it, it dawned on me because, you know, we had Daniel on and he and I have stayed in touch and have become, uh, I would say friends, you know, we, we talk every now and then through texting and uh, on the phone. We've we've talked, and I see those names. And I'm like, wow, there's you know Renee DeHinden and and Mel, you know Melgram and stuff. I'm in the middle of Ohio, and 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 I don't, ha- I never had a chance to meet some of those guys. You know, they were some of those guys are not no longer with us, as a matter of fact. And and it's like that's that's like. Uh, for, for like a baseball, for, for a baseball analogy, that's like, you know, you're on the list there with like Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm become friends with Daniel and you're like, gosh, he had real relationships with those people, picked yeah. their brains, has gone through their, has gone through all their research. And um, it, it just, it kind of, it does, you got to take a step back and say, Wow. Okay. Um, and I'm just a blue collar guy down yeah. here in Southwest Missouri, you know. So uh, it was unexpected. It was unexpected, but well, awesome, I, awesome but nonetheless. Let me tell you, I, I think once people hear um, what you what you guys have been doing, they're gonna they're gonna understand that you probably will at some point name recognition wise, which we all know that's shouldn't be what this is all for. But you're going to be people are going to be like, man, that guy and and uh, your Randy are are doing some cool stuff out there, and you guys should be a force to be reckoned with when it comes to real, you know, boots on the ground research for sure. Well, we're um, we're definitely trying to do things that other people haven't done in the past. Um, I say that, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have tried a lot of stuff, but we've, we've kind of, uh, worked into the situation that has made it easier. You know, a little luck goes a long way and uh, I was brought into this property. Um, so it was kind of, uh, you know, handed to us on a silver platter per se and picking the right people to get involved in this has been a, a, a a big issue, you know, finding the right people. And Randy was, uh, the first person that, that I brought in as far as like considering wanting to consider somebody like a part of this team, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. eventually we found Dan Nedvelo, who is a biologist that, uh, comes out with us on occasion. And, um, 
And then we have a guy named Gary Shooty kind of runs the, uh, you know, we have a website that we haven't really started promoting yet. It's, it's, it's out, but we haven't started promoting it because it's not full yet. You know, we haven't finished it completely. It's kind of a work in progress, but, um, Gary Shooty runs that and, uh, runs kind of, uh, you know, he's going to be running some media stuff and whatnot and kind of taking care of the social side and whatnot, all that good stuff. And, uh, all while the, all while, you know, getting out with us on occasion also, but me and Randy do most of this, um, me and Randy do five and 10 day excursions. Uh, this summer we, we did something different and we, uh, put Randy out there by himself. So Randy would go out for, we, he would do a 10 day excursion and I would come out, we'd set it up to where, uh, I would come out in the middle or towards the end of it on a weekend and, uh, stay a few days with him. And, uh, it was just to try to get these things that are on the property, um, more adept to him. Um, I'm out there all the time. And, uh, so, you know, we, we switched some things up this summer, but a lot of people are doing the same old thing that has been done over and over and over for years, trying the same old tactics. And, um, we just decided that, you know, we had to, we had to, we had a golden opportunity and that we, we've got to try some things that haven't been done. And that's what we're doing. And we've got, We've got a little bit of backing now as far as uh, being able to continue forward and be able to get some different types of equipment built for us to do what we need it to do. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, our, our goal is to prove to the world that these things are real and uh, without taking a body, basically. And that's going to be done by getting up, you know, close, uh, up close and personal on a consistent basis and uh, we'll have a round table of academics that we're putting together that all the evidence will go to before it ever hits the public. Um, we've already kind of started that process and um, like we have uh, another biologist that is, uh, you know, studying the tracks and helping us out with the tracks. Uh, I've got tons and tons of juvenile casts that, uh, that we've, that we've uh, collected over several years and uh, we've actually been able to cast uh, two individuals one of them twice two years in a row and one of them three years in a row so we have casts that show the same foot um, and show like the morphology change and the growth and um, I was gonna so I was gonna I was gonna ask that um, so what's the rate of growth on on these juveniles uh from year well to year. we've 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 only been able to thus far as far as casting the same individuals consistently um it's one the one that we casted three years in a row started out when i first found it and it was nine inches and basically what we're seeing between these two juveniles from nine inches up, there's a growth rate of about an inch to an inch and a quarter a year. Hmm. Okay. And so, so they're up to about what, 12 or 13 then now? Is that what you're? Yeah. Well, um, I, I couldn't tell you now because the situation has changed. The, the two juvies that were there on the property are no longer there. 
and there's two other younger individuals there now. Oh, okay, okay, with, I guess. With the two adults, it's a family situation, and so we spent, we basically spent four years um, tracking and, you know, trying to um, basically habituate this group, and the two juveniles that were interacting with us have since left and gone. At least, I mean, we're not finding their tracks anymore, and uh, I would I would expect that I would have already found their tracks this summer if they were gone. So this all this happened this summer, and um, there's a, a younger one that was there when they were there also, and its tracks are now about nine and a half inches, and now we have one that is leaving six-inch tracks. So... Our focus is going to be on the youngest one because that gives us more time to habituate it. Um, it gives us more possible tracks to focus on from year to year, collecting a longer term growth rate than we've been able to collect. So we should be able to get um, definitely more vigorous data uh, being able to cast these six inch tracks versus starting at nine inches and, and moving forward, if you follow me. Yeah, yeah, because then I think what, I mean, if I'm following along correctly, it seems that maybe once these reach a certain age, they're kind of pushed away and say, okay, go find your own area. And yeah. it's and you're, and you're talking maybe when they're, you know, just for the sake of not knowing how old they really are, but when they're footprint reaches maybe 12 13 inches they're maybe old enough that they can go off on their own so yeah the situation there we had what we assumed was a mother and she had 12 inch tracks we assumed that because um <clears throat> the the juvenile tracks would always be with these 12 inch hmm. tracks those okay. 12 inch tracks that are they're 14 inch they're 14 inch tracks now, but at the time they were 12. And so we weren't sure if it was an older sibling or if it was the mother. Um, now we, I think we understand correctly that it probably is the mother because she's still there. Her, we still find her tracks and assuming it's a her, of course, you know, a lot of this is assumption, but we're just yeah. trying to, we're trying to build a picture off of, off of the data that we collect. Um, so Sometimes we uh, prove ourselves incorrect and we change that, you know, at times, of course, but just all, all kind of part of it, you know, you kind of got to form a, a process around the possibility and, uh, and, and move forward. You know, you got to pick a possibility and move forward. So we try to follow our data as much as we can, but there are a lot of assumptions going into it, of course, too. But um, so, yeah, those uh, me and Randy actually. Um, last year had discussed the possibility that these two juveniles at some point may come to an age where say the, the Jew, the female juvenile starts ovulating and in the animal world, if you think these things are a type of animal or an ape, typically when they, you know, when they start, um, ovulating, they're going to be looking to breed or a male is going to be looking to breed with them, right? And uh, we don't know how their family structure works uh, as far as, you know, whether they just leave the family and go look for a male or if they may already have a male set up for them or what. But 
we were kind of prepared for this to happen at some point. And uh, it seems as though it happened, you know, this this spring, that spring of 2022. So immediately we started, um, you know, finding the uh, what was the youngest ones tracks, which are nine and a half now. And then we found these six inch tracks and that, you know, we're really excited about that. Really excited about that. It just gives us more time to like work the habituation process with a, with one particular individual. And of course that's assuming that, you know, they, they stay in that area and uh, we get to continue this process. Well, I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's conceivable to believe that uh, at least you're going to have three or four more years with that, whatever creature is leaving the six inch, you know, unless they just all pick up and say, this place sucks. We're leaving, we're leaving and we're all moving away as a family. You, you'd seem to, it seemed to make sense that the little, at least the little one's going to be there for at least three or four more years that you can, that you can watch it grow and um, try to, you know, get comfortable, make it comfortable being around you. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, this, uh, last weekend I was actually called by somebody and, uh, there was tracks found 37 minutes from me and, uh, I went and met them. They took me out to this mud flat where these tracks were found. And it was, uh, there were six inch tracks, 10 inch tracks and 11 and a half inch tracks. And they were in a, a mud flat where the water was low and uh, lots of mussel shells, you know, broken mussel shells laying around. And, um, you know, we, we believe that that's what they're doing when they go out into these mud flats is collecting mussels. You know, we can't say that positively, but there's evidence, possible evidence that shows that. So it's... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it, and there's a, a, a lot that we've done, a lot of data that we've collected, and um, we're just now getting to a point where we can turn it over to people who are smarter than us and let them think about it, and it's allowing me and Randy to just, like, focus on the research, collecting the data, and we just now, – now we're just going to be able to pass it off, you know? Let, um, well, it, it, it is refreshing to hear people – that are doing this that it's refreshing to hear you say this is this is kind of what we think but our you know it's going to change uh, it could change according to what we discover and you're saying we could pass this stuff off to people that are smarter than us because so many times you just hear people that well this is what this is and this is what it's going to do and we're just looking for evidence that backs that up what we believe up and it, it's kind of like you're like a, a totally a totally opposite approach of a lot of uh, a lot of people that i hear talk about this is that uh, <laughs> you're you're so open-minded you're willing to try anything because you just really are discovering everything seems brand new you know yeah yeah i, mean, I personally don't listen to a lot of other people's experiences when it comes to researchers because i don't want to I don't want to taint my mind with other people's ide ideas and ideologies um, so that when we when something happens or we get some new data, we don't have um, 
we don't have you know it creates more of a mess for us basically you know we want to we want to go mm -hmm. off of the data and not not take that data and um, stretch stretch into something that we already think or something that we've heard elsewhere you know um, just like for instance um, for years uh, Meldrum has been showing that these things have a what he calls a possible mid tarsal joint um, which is uh, allows them to flex a lot of times the word in the middle of the foot is used but that's not where the mid tarsal joint would be it would be um, it would be just in front of the shin bone or the ankle um, what we're finding is these things have a medial longitudinal arch a lateral longitudinal arch and an interior transverse arch just like we do like the the tracks that we're getting especially the juvie tracks are showing arches and that's kind of a big deal because all apes have a mid tarsal joint and all humans have arches and no mid tarsal joint so if we're correct and these tracks are juvenile sasquatch tracks and they're showing that these things have three arches just like we do that means possibly that they are a a human primate versus a non-human primate um, there's evidence that says that these things may have language and if that's the case that would also make them a human primate versus a non-human primate um, it would also mean that their throats are set up like ours our our oral cavity and our throat basically have a one-to-one -one ratio and they're almost set up in a 90 degree angle whereas apes have a one to two ratio so their throat is um you have to double the the length of their throat to create the space of their oral cavity and that puts their voice box and their vocal cords right up behind their uh, their oral cavity whereas ours is down in our throat because we have a one-to-one -one ratio that's what allows us to have speech and um, if these things have a language and have speech that would also mean that they are a human primate versus a non-human primate so it's uh it's things like this you know little pieces of data like this that we're looking at that points us in a direction now we may we may discover some data that you know makes us go well maybe these things are are apes and you know we're we're not correct with what we're seeing this is why we are now giving our stuff to other people that are smarter than us <laughs> <laughs> well I, I would like to um i'd like to have um before we get into some of the stuff that you guys that you guys are uh collecting like the evidence and stuff you guys are collecting there now beside the footprints I'd like to hear about your very first experience uh, when you were when you were just a kid. Um, I find I, I read about that and I was kind of uh, I was kind of intrigued because I remember when I was that same. I think you were ten, so yes. uh, so I remember being that age and and just being nuts over Bigfoot. But that was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I, I just kind of want to see what this experience was like for you and. Uh, if you if you wouldn't mind sharing it with everybody sure sure so it was uh 1984 i was 10 years old i was out on my aunt and uncle's property uh, i went out there during the summer a lot to uh to hang out they they watched me during the summer while my parents worked and uh so 
I would be out there and, you know, we played in the woods a lot. It was uh, outside of West Plains, Missouri, just all, all forest out in the country. And, uh, my uncle had this dog named Sam and, uh, he, he liked chasing deer, he chased cows and whatnot, you know, got in trouble sometimes, but it was, uh, it, it wasn't out of the norm for him to drag in like a doe by the hind leg or something and, uh, or, or a small fawn or something. But, uh, Anyway, one day he was missing, and typically my uncle could step out on the back porch and whistle out into the woods, and he would show up, you know, within 15 minutes usually. It didn't happen that day, so I went out into the woods to uh, to look for Sam and holler for him. So the woods kind of run east and west, the tree line, and there's a, a, a small field in between that that was... Uh, fenced off with bob wire and out in the middle is a, a pond so i cross this field and i go into the woods maybe you know 20 yards and i'm uh hollering for sam this dog and i i start walking towards the east and um i don't know i you know i probably walked 75 100 yards and then i started getting this real uneasy feeling and um, I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, I knew I stopped and I actually started focusing on this one particular tree. And it was as if I knew I could I knew something was behind that tree and I had no idea what it was. At the time, I had never heard of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So uh, I'm standing there trying to figure out what has given me this this crazy feeling that I'm happy that I'm having and this thing steps out from behind the tree, like literally just like one side step out and it stands there. And literally we look at each other. Like I was really asphyxiated on the eyes and in the face. So, um, I didn't get a lot of detail of the front of the body because I was, I don't know, maybe in shock. Um, you know, thinking back on it, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was in, I don't remember feeling like I was in shock, but Anyway, I was asphyxiated on this thing's face and looking back at it as it was looking at me, it didn't show any facial expression. Um, it was just straight faced. It was maybe a 15 second, 10 to 15 second encounter. It turned around calmly and walked off towards the uh, southeast, I believe. It kind of went up this little hill and as it disappeared over the hill and I just, I sat there the whole time watching it walk away. Um, I wasn't, I don't remember experiencing fear in the moment, but as soon as that thing topped the hill and disappeared, it was like, I, I completely broke down and freaked out. I mean, I just, I did a U-turn, took off running, you know, came out of the wood line, hit it through the fence. And I'm like halfway across the field and I'm already like crying. And, and, um, uh, I look up and my dad's vehicle is sitting in the driveway. So I start screaming and yelling for my dad and, by the time I get to the fence near the house and I'm coming through the fence, my dad's coming out and hears me yelling and he meets me out off the porch and, you know, I run into his arms and I'm screaming or not screaming, but I'm crying and freaking and he's just trying to get me to calm down, wanting to know what happened, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong. And so he kind of calmed me down. We went inside, went into the bedroom and uh, he's asking me, you know, what happened and and uh, so I told him, 
you know, I told him what had happened. And of course, I'm trying to describe this thing, not knowing what to call it. So he's just listening to me describe this, this thing. And I describe it as like adult size at the time. But looking back on it, it wasn't adult size. It was most likely a juvenile. It was, it was probably, I don't know, maybe five foot tall, four and a half to five foot tall. Um, may have been a little taller. It's hard to say because I was young and I was a kid and it's been so long ago, but um, I'm trying to explain to my dad what, what just happened and what I just saw. And my dad is, you know, basically I, it, it felt like he didn't believe me. He's trying to, he's trying to convince me that I was seeing shadows and, um, you know, just freaked myself out. And of course, you know, I saw a living, breathing, hair covered thing, you know, that was looked like a hair covered person almost. So yeah, yeah, shadow doesn't normally walk from the tree line over a hill. Right, right. And and I I told him all of that. And he still, you know, just tried to convince me that I was seeing shadows and and scared myself, basically. And uh so you know, basically, it was kind of left at that. Um, I was disappointed because my dad, you know, I could tell he didn't believe me. And he never, like, gave me any crap over it or teased me or anything like that. Because um, I'm sure you could tell that, it, you know, that I was really bothered by it. I mean, you know, looking back on it, it was it was a traumatic experience for me. Um, like, I quit playing in the woods. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I quit hunting. Like, I was I was already into hunting at that point. And, uh, you know, had no interest in hunting anymore and kind of, uh, changed my whole view of being in the woods and, and, uh, and enjoying the serenity of it, you know? Well, so did you, did you ever talk to your aunt, aunt and uncle about it or not? Did they, did they ever no, hear? No, no, not till years later, not till years later. And so my, my, my dad had mentioned it to him, um, you know, of course, he just all my dad told him was uh, I I got spooked and got scared. You know, that was it. So so what did they what did they say about it? Um, I, you know, later on, after I got older, I uh, I brought it up to my uncle and asked him if my dad had ever told him about it. And um, he had never had any experiences or anything there. My dad, had, you know, like I said, my dad had just told him I'd gotten spooked and uh my uncle actually had a possible encounter in Oregon um, years after that. He moved to Oregon to the Bay. He, they lived kind of on the base of Mount St. Helens, and oh, he had yeah. and he had an experience there. And um, then they moved to they ended up moving to Tennessee, and um, you know just just west of the Smoky Mountains. And uh, they go up into Smoky Mountains and camp, and they've had uh, a couple experiences up there actually, just audio, audible stuff you know, yells and roars and whoops that they've heard off in the distance. But, uh, you know, they're, they're open to it. My aunt and uncle are, but, uh, he'd never had any experiences out there and they hunted the property and stuff, you know, we pretty, pretty large property. And it was all surrounded by a few other private properties in national forest. So a lot of area, a lot of area. So that definitely, you know, that definitely changed your, changed your life, obviously. I mean, I'm sure that's something that you never forgot. And what, 
Well, you know, did that did that leak or or not? I guess am I wrong or? Well, uh, you know, oddly enough, I got to a point. Um, you know, I don't I don't know when this happened, but I got to a point where it it was fairly fairly quick, maybe within a year. I just got to a point where I like put it in a lockbox in the back of my head. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just never really thought about it again. And uh, you know, I don't know if I you know blocking it out or what, but. It, at some point, I just locked it away and uh, just didn't think about it anymore, you know? Wow, really? Because, like I said, you know, when I was at that age, um, you know, I would have been, at least in my mind, so excited to see something like that and experience it. But I guess until you're 10 years old and right there and actually seeing it, you don't realize how terrifying it could possibly possibly be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in Ohio growing up, we didn't think there was any chance you're ever going to see a Bigfoot. So, of course, you were like, oh, man, I'd love to see one. But there's never a chance to see one. Yeah. And, you know, so and and, and I'm sure I, I think you're much younger than me. So by the time you were probably 10 years old, there was probably a little more uh, Bigfoot might even have been a little more mainstream. Um, than what it was even when I was a kid. Because, um, you know, we had In Search Of and the Patterson-Gimlin film, and that was about it. You yeah. Know, there wasn't well, cra- anything else. Crazy enough, as a kid, I don't remember remember seeing, like, anything as far as Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Um, really? Really? Even yeah, I didn't, a, I, didn't watch a lot of, I didn't watch a lot of TV when I was a kid. Um, I was in martial arts. Like I, I was started in martial arts when I was six, so I would literally I, I would go to school, and I would leave school if I had if I had sports or something I would go to practice. But then after school, I, after that I would go immediately to the gym, and uh, I trained five nights a week for years, and uh, so I didn't watch a lot of TV. I wasn't exposed to a lot of stuff like that. So I, you know, I didn't really discover Sasquatch and Bigfoot till I was in my teens, in my mid-teens probably. See, there's the difference. You're you're going and and, and doing martial arts and, and being disciplined, and I'm just going home eating, you know, like uh, you know, a candy bar and watching Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days reruns. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's yeah. why that's why you're big footer of the year, and I'm not <laughs> because you because of your because of your discipline. So so. So at what point then did you, so how do you make this leap where you've put this experience, locked it away? When does it happen again for you that you, that you, that you want to get into uh, doing this research and then maybe you open that lockbox back up and start uh, revisiting that experience that you had? Yeah. So 2013, um, Oh, this this was it was actually July July first, two thousand and thirteen. Um, the the day before, just on a whim, I told my wife and kids, "Hey, let's let's find a place and go hike tomorrow. Let's let's go on a hike, get out and enjoy some nature. You know, maybe find a spot with a creek." And um, so I got on Google Earth and started looking around. I wanted to find a place where there 
not like your just normal hiking areas where people go typically, you know, something a little more secluded. So I found a spot and we showed up the next morning. Real, I think it was, it was early. Um, we got out and we took off hiking and, you know, we got, got a ways out and, you know, mile and a half, maybe two miles. And we're walking down the trail and the, the, the kids, I've got three boys and, uh, they were out in front of us and me and my wife are walking beside each other. And, um, all of a sudden I get this, this feeling and, um, like crazy enough, I recognized it immediately. It was like, it was cause I hadn't felt it since I was 10 years old. Right. It was this, it was the exact same feeling or vibe. And, uh, I was like, Oh no, you know, please, please don't let this be, you know, and uh, basically, I just kind of, I, I stepped in off the trail, and uh, I uh, just started scanning the woods, and off to my right was this thicket, 30, 30 yards away, maybe 40 yards, and um, I could see these these heads sticking up, and uh, th- three for sure that were real prominent, that I could, and, then, and then a possible fourth. And uh, immediately was like, oh, no, you know, it's like I got this feeling, just an overwhelming feeling of dread, like, oh, my gosh, you know. So I immediately go back out. I come out of the woods, get back on the trail with my wife. I haul at the kids. Hey, hey, let's, you know, let's go. It's it's time to go. We need to turn around and start hiking back out. And my wife, in the moment, she could tell that something was wrong, but she went with it instead of, you know, asking. She just went with it. Um, trusted me and we take off hiking back out and uh, I was just trying to I didn't want to the kids to be aware of what I was feeling in the in that moment so I was just trying to act normal you know but my wife could she could tell so we get back to the creek that we had crossed and uh, we stopped there and took some pictures and whatnot and and uh, anyways we stopped and took pictures a few times we were pointed back down the trail and there's some odd things, you know, in those pictures and, and, uh, we get home and as soon as we're away from the kids, my wife immediately, you know, hits me. She's like, uh, what was that all about? What happened? You know, what, what happened out there? Um, so like in that moment I had to, well, first of all, I had to tell my wife something that I'd never told her right? That I had had this experience when I was 10. And then I had to tell her that I just had another experience with the same thing out on that trail that I'd just seen these things. And, um, and then I had to hope to hell that my wife would believe me, you know, like the person that I love and trust the most, is she going to believe me when I tell her that I seen this thing when I was 10 and that I just seen possibly four more, you know, it was, uh, that was probably the hardest part of all of this was trying to open up to my wife and tell her this, this crazy stuff and, uh, hope that she didn't think that her husband was crazy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the, the worst part is, is that you're saying that is I think about how, you know, how many people think it's so easy to lie to their wife. The hardest part is telling her the truth. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, 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 so, man. It was, uh, 
it was a it was and I'm, a and I'm by no means weird moment. It was, I'm, <laughs> it was terrible. I am, I'm by no means condoning lying to your wife. I'm just saying that. Right. <laughs> I, I got so, you. I follow you. <laughs> so how, how did how did she react? So obviously she was she believed you. Yeah, yeah. Lucky enough, she she didn't doubt me. She believed me. Um, I showed her like while I was in the woods, I snapped a few pictures, and um, I showed her the pictures, and um, luckily she believed me. And I was at that point like I knew that if I didn't get back out there, that I was going to be ruined as far as enjoying the woods and whatnot. And as an adult, like um. I became an information junkie in my mid-teens, and uh, just, like, I love information. I love reading and learning new things, and, uh, you know, I'm into a lot of stuff. And so I made the the decision right then and there that the next morning at sunup, I was going to be back out there, and I was going to go right to where those things were. So uh, that's what I did. And for the next three days... I was out there from sun up to sundown and literally like I took t- I took time off from work. I just had to basically I, I had to go face this thing that, you know, that I had ran into when I was a child. And um, I didn't I didn't want it to affect me and how I live my life. So I decided I want to go out and see see what these things were, see if I could get close to them. And and uh, July 4th. Literally, like right before sundown, I'm I'm racing back to uh, the the town that I live in, and like stopping to get fireworks and get home so that I can you know have July Fourth with my kids. I was just I just dove in head first, you know, and uh, it just turned into to craziness from there after. So, so then where did you now? Is this the same piece of land? Where you saw those four heads that then you started, uh, did you continue investigating there? Or, I mean, how, how then did you get to where you're at the piece of property that you guys are at now and having um, what I would call a lot of success in, in your in research? So basically, I, I, I started putting together, for lack of a better word, like a system that I, that I thought may work to try to habituate these, those things. And <clears throat> I spent uh, three years out there and was baiting these things. And the juveniles started following me on these, these hikes that I'd set up. And um, like, eventually it turned into like semi interaction, I guess you could say. <clears throat> and, uh, at at one point, I took. I'm a I'm an ex MMA coach. Also, I uh, you know kickboxed, Thai boxed, and got into MMA, and then retired and opened a gym and coached. So, I have a uh, one of my pro fighters. Um, you develop a trust with these fighters because they they go into the ring or the cage and and they're relying on you. And if they if they completely trust you, they'll listen to you as a coach on the outside of the ring, right? So you develop this trust. So I thought, I'm going to take one of my guys out with me. And one of them in particular, he was one of my pro fighters and he was ex-military. So I thought, this guy's the perfect person, right? So I take him out and um, we start having these things happen. And 
we see one from 75, 80 yards in a tree and he's not understanding what he's seeing till it takes off down the tree. And then he's like kind of freaking out, you know, trying to decide if he just saw a bear or what. And, um, long story short, I got, I got him within about 30 yards of one of the juveniles. And I decided at that point that I was going to, I was going to get video that day. Um, so that I could tell people about this, you know, cause at this point I hadn't been telling people about it. It was, I didn't want to be the crazy Bigfoot guy, you know? And, um, so I took off running after this juvenile to get video and we ended up catching up to it and we were probably 40 foot from it and it stuck its head out of this thicket and he got and and he looked at it and he looked back at me and looked back at it and it turned around and bolted on all fours for a little ways and then went from all fours to a standing run without slowing down at all. And he looked at me and just turned like ghost white. His eyes watered. He, he like leaned over holding his stomach. He was, thought he was going to throw up. Like he, he was almost like in shock. Um, even though I told him and explained to him what I was going to take him out to see. And uh, after that day, everything basically stopped. Like I was still finding their tracks here and there, but all the interaction completely stopped. And um, I kept on out there for another year or so and finally kind of gave it up. I still go back to that spot occasionally. And um, I do believe that there's, they still come through that area, but they're not hanging out in that area as they were back then. Um, so I had a little downtime and then uh, one day randomly, somebody that I knew from my past reached out to me and they're like, Hey, I, I saw you on this website. I didn't know you was into Bigfoot. Um, I got this friend that owns this property and all this weird stuff's happening. And I think it may be Bigfoot. Would you be willing to go out? And I said, uh, when's the soonest we could go? And he said, tomorrow. And I said, I'm in. So the next morning we went out, he took me out to this property and, um, they wanted me to basically see if I could get to the bottom of what was happening. The property owner at the time wasn't sure if he had poachers or what he was finding structures and, um, he was tearing them down thinking that poachers, he's got a ton of deer on his property. I mean, a ton, it's, it's ridiculous. So he thought poachers were coming in his property at night and, um, and he was finding these deer kills occasionally, but the, the heads were still on the, so he was confused. And uh, so he's tearing down these structures and whatnot and stuff started happening around his cabin. And that's when they pulled me into it. So we go out and we spent eight hours on the property that day, just hiking uh, throughout the property. So I could kind of get to know the lay of the land. And um, odd, crazy enough, first day out there, I felt like we were being followed and I turned around and spotted one. Um, the guy that took me out there, he hadn't seen one before and, uh, he had been kind of hiking around the property, checking stuff out, you know, over the past month, few months before that. And, uh, I turned around, pointed it out to him. He got to see it. And from that point forward, I've been on that property. That was five years ago. So back to that last property. So you, so you kind of feel then that by chasing that juvenile, that's kind of what stopped.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. some of the interaction you were having, like they lost, yeah, it, lost a little it, bit of trust in what you were, uh, your intentions or maybe. It, it killed my predictability. Like I feel, I feel like what's enabled me to do the things that I've done is just being predictable. And there's ways to go about that. Um, like proving yourself to be predictable. And that's what my whole idea was based on, you know, trying to, trying to habituate these things. And, um, that, that completely broke that predict- predictability that I'd built. And now, that went forward, nothing, absolutely no interaction whatsoever. So how was the, how was your, uh, the guy that was with you? Like, I mean, obviously he's not asking, it doesn't sound to me like he's wants any part of what he witnessed. Is he? Oh, not? absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was I was hoping that he would like become my research partner. You know, I wanted to really go deep into this and uh, he didn't want any part of it. He didn't even want to talk about it for a month, for a couple months. Like in the gym, he would just avoid the topic and he was uneasy about it every time I'd bring it up. So I just quit bringing it up, you know, and because we had to focus on being coach and fighter, you know, and uh, he just didn't want to think about it. So I enabled that and quit bringing it up to him. You know, now we, we, we can talk about it and discuss it and he's okay with it now, but early on, you know, he really had a, he had an issue with it. Like I took him out and showed him something that wasn't supposed to be real, you know, which in, 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 um, the limited knowledge I have of MMA, but you still, you still would, you still consider those guys, men and women are entering a ring or a, a, a space where, uh, they very well could lose their life if they're not properly trained and, and ready for what's going to happen. And you'd think that they would have no fear or at least they could overcome what fear they have. And then to see that guy basically fall to pieces um, because he, and he was ex-military. He was ex-military too. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Even, even more. Cause then you're wondering, well, cause I, I got to be honest, any military guy I talk about or talk to, um, even if it's not about Bigfoot, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, what have you seen and experienced that the rest of us regular Joes couldn't imagine? You know? Yeah. You, you know yeah. there's got to be something. They, they have to get a level of of experiencing things and um, knowing things that just the regular people don't know, aren't exposed to. Right. And right. you would think that they would be able to digest uh, 
something like that. But as it happens, I do talk, you know, I've had military guys on the show that, uh, you know, when I first talked to them, they, they can't grasp their experience because it's like you said, that guy's saying that's not supposed to be real. You know, you're, there's not supposed to be something that can take off on all fours and then, uh, not miss, miss a beat and run off on two legs. Exactly. Stuff like that. That's yeah. I mean, to an, to an extent, it was like a paradigm shift for him, you know, his some, something that he was led to believe and told was true was suddenly false. You know, here's these things that he got to see with his own eyes. He got to hear them. He got to see their tracks and, um, it, you know, it affected him. It, it affected, uh, his whole paradigm in a sense. Now, now were you in that instance, were you able to collect video and other evidence that um, that you set out to try to try to collect get i i got a i got a picture of it um at the time this was this was back in 2014 and uh, at the time i didn't have like any awesome cameras or anything and i was literally just using my phone like i wasn't out there to try to prove these things were real at the time i was out there to figure out what the heck they were what I was dealing with and what I was experiencing, you know, I, I was wanting answers. So I wasn't out like trying to prove it or anything. Um, the pictures that I was taking with my phone, I was taking those just to bring them home and show them to my wife and eventually my kids, you know, it's like all my kids know these things are real. Um, my oldest son has seen them. Um, he, he started going out hiking with me and he's seen them on three occasions himself. Holy smokes. So, how, so how is uh, how how is that um, played into his growing up? Like what his belief system? Like what? Because yeah, I gotta believe, like you as a kid, um, even though you didn't have a background and uh, knew anything about him, it changed kind of how you saw things, at least at that point in time. And no matter how much you've told him that, hey, this is what Dad goes out and does. How prepared is he still the first time he sees one? Um, like he was okay with it. He was okay with it. Um, you know, cool. I'd already, I'd, I'd already, you know, like I would, I'd already been out there at this point for, I don't know, a year before I let him come out with me, and um, you know, I felt like I didn't feel like he'd be any da- in, in in any danger per se. So he was mentally prepared. Like to him. You know, you got to remember he's um, at the time. Oh, gosh, I, th- I want to say he was 10 or 11 years old. And. Um, he's just believing what dad tells him, you know, and I'm telling mm-hmm. him that there's nothing to be scared of, you know, and explaining to him what I think about him and and whatnot. And um, the actually the first time that he saw one, he was a little taken aback, like more excited. Um, have you ever you ever heard of buck fever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's for him, it was kind of like buck fever the first time he saw one. You know, he got all excited and he's breathing hard and his heart's pumping fast, like adrenaline shot that he got or something, you know. Um, he, um, he researched with me, or, I, you know, I should just say hiked with me and did my, did what I do um, for about maybe eight, eight months, 
And then we were in this particular holler one day, and what I believe was the male roared from down the holler, and the sound in this particular holler like carries really hard. And this this sound, that roar came up through the holler, and when it hit us, you could almost feel it. And um, it freaked him out for some reason. So at that point, he wanted no more to do with it. Like he had already seen them three times, seen one of them three times, and then that happened and it freaked him out. So he quit going out with me. Um, he's 18 now and actually kind of getting back into it. Um, he goes hiking with me sometimes and he's okay with it. He's not scared. You know, he's, he knows if these things were going to do something, they would have already done it to me. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, your experience with the juveniles, there's, I mean, how big are, are these juveniles? I mean, we know how big their feet are. But how big are they as creatures, height-wise and weight-wise, do you think? You know, it's it's hard to say. Um, I saw in my old area, I saw the the what I considered to be the adult female one time, and, and I snapped a picture of her. And um, when I came back through, I went over to that spot where she had been standing. There was a tree limb that was like there. Her head was right under, and that tree limb was at seven foot. And she was just a little under that. So, you know, she was six something, the upper six foot something, you know, hard to say exactly. But um, I never saw the the male from that from that research area. Um, I saw him. I never saw him like standing in a position where I could get a height on him. I caught him sitting down in a blind one time. Um, and then another time he. He came in behind me in this one spot and uh, but he was like in a thicket and he was he was peeking out of the thicket through a, uh, a V in a down tree. So all I could really see like you could see the mass of his body in the thicket, but you could all, all I could see clearly was like uh, from the top lip up in this V. So I never really got an opportunity to see the adults other than that one time with the female, uh, the juvies. And this is just going off of the tracks that I'm finding. And when I have seen them and been able to kind of judge their height, um, and this this goes for both areas, both research areas, um, when their feet are 9 to 10 inches, they're about my, I'm 5'8", and they seem to be about my size when their feet are 9 to 10 inches long. And Well, and, and just considering... Um, you know, the mat, you know, their mass probably at the same height as you, they're probably twice as big. They're not. That's, that's not the case. That's not what we're seeing. No, I mean, they're, they're a little, they're, they're a little bigger than us, but they're not like massively built like the adults. Hmm. I, I, you know, I can't say this for sure, but our, our, our idea is that like, say after the females start ovulating, is when they really like hit a growth spurt and the young males, you know, we would, we would, we would figure when they, uh, when they hit puberty, it's the same thing. They start, you know, their mass starts coming into play. And, and, um, and we're seeing that in the tracks too, as they, as they, as they, as the tracks grow, they flatten out more. So I wonder, and, I wonder if you if you had to tangle with a juvenile, how that would end up. 
you know. So think of a, you know, think of a, like even a chimp. A chimp could rip us apart, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, that's what their, that's their muscle fiber is different, and mm-hmm. they're they're just built differently than we are. Um, so I would imagine that it would, you know, probably be the same for these things. Um, looking just looking at the build of the adults, you know, that I haven't seen. I've only seen the male um, in the 400 on thermal, but I I did get to see the male in uh, my old research area, and and it was built like a like a bodybuilder. I mean, he was huge. He was super thick. His chest was huge. His his arms were huge. Um, like he was cut, you know, you could see muscle through the hair. Which kind of, I mean, when you stop and think about it, it kind of, you just kind of wonder how something gets that big living that hard scrabble of a life really out in the wild, you know, fin, you know, having to fight every day, probably for food and shelter and nothing's probably super easy. Not where we're at. Where we're yeah. at, they're not, they're not fighting for food. This this property and this this whole area um, where this property is is loaded with deer, um, <clears throat> loaded with um, all kinds of like like prairie birds. Um, there's tons and tons of berries on the property. I mean, just huge like half acre plots of berries. Berry, you know, just uh, like thickets of them. Um, there's uh there's pawpaw trees there's you know uh apple trees peach trees like there's a lot of food source on this property and in the surrounding area holy smokes this sounds this place sounds fantastic yeah we didn't know we didn't know there were pawpaw trees on the uh on the property until we started finding the seeds in their scat and then i you know i i went and we, we didn't even know what the seeds were it took it took a, like a week to figure out exactly what the seeds were. And, you know, we weren't, I hadn't even heard of pawpaws at the time. So I wasn't looking, you know, I wasn't looking there to compare. And when we finally matched the seeds up, uh, pawpaws typically, or pawpaw trees typically grow near water. So I uh, started running the creek on both sides and we had pawpaw trees on the opposite side of the creek, just like 800 yards from camp. Wow. So... I take back everything I said about these about this family unit. Then they 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 seem like they're living in a lap of luxury. Yeah, I tell I could live on this property and make oh, it. Wow, you know. But uh, but I mean, you understand what I'm saying though. It's like when oh yeah, when I, when I hear these things are ripped to shreds, like look like bodybuilders, uh, you know, it's like how how do they get that big? Because they're not out there working out. Okay, they're right. eating, they're trying to survive, and you think they would, um, you know, their bodies wouldn't necessarily be built to look like they were trying out for the um, cowboys or something. Well, you you would, know, they you would, would, yeah, you would assume that their calorie intake would have to be huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, if, if you're built like that, if you're not, you know, if you're a little bit pudgy or you're a little bit, you got some extra fat on you, um, I hate to break it to you. Everybody out there, I don't have to eat a whole bunch of calories every day because I've already got some stored up. But right. the people who are ripped to shreds like that who have to eat a huge amount of calories to maintain that muscle mass and look like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. And it's it's not to say that all of them are built like that either. Um, The the male out in the 400 or what we believe is the male. um, He's he's large, but, you know, we were we just got to see him on thermal. But on the thermal, he didn't look nearly as thick and as wide as the one that was in my old research area. So, you know, who who's to say? Who's to say, I guess. And another thing we're seeing, like you you always hear about the conical heads. Um, yeah. That's We're not seeing conical heads on all of them. Some of them have round heads. That's interesting. And, but, I mean, I just think... If you and if you want to talk about like uh, capturing some of the uh, somewhat Sierra sounds that you guys have that you guys have heard that that made me think when we were talking about that off the air is that how much different these creatures are um, just like people. I mean that's that's the part that really strikes me as if we think these are human like. They do like some have conical heads, some have round heads, some seem to have a language, some don't, uh, you know, because people are out there researching and researching them in active areas and don't come up with the, uh, you know, the sound of language. They get mimic like animal mimics and uh, different sounds and, and whistles and stuff instead of a, a language. It just seems like there's such a varying degree of 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 types of these creatures depending where you're at right right yeah it even when you go you know like if you look at the geographical locations where these things are seen a lot like if you northwest um you know a lot of the sightings up there describe them as being bigger and bulkier and then you go to florida and they have you know what they call the swamp apes there they seem to have longer hair and be a little thinner and and then, like here in the Ozarks, it seems like we got kind of a mix, you know, of mm-hmm. uh, like what I get people reach out to me often down in this area and, you know, give me sighting reports and stuff. And like they're not they're not all looking the same. You know, they're, the descriptions are varying um, by quite a lot, actually. So it's uh you know, if I had to, if I had to say, that would be my guess that these things are, if if the data is correct that we're looking at, that's showing these things may be a possible human primate, then I would say that they would probably be like us, and there's going to be a lot of variations in what they look like. A ton. Yes. Yeah, I I couldn't argue that at all. I couldn't argue that. One of them, actually, there's a uh, in my old research area the. The two juveniles that used to mess with me and interact with me, one of them had no hair on its face and actually had a hairline, just like you and I do. Um, I used to call him Elvis. I nicknamed him Elvis at one point because of because of the way his hairline was. But you could see his ears. Um, the the hair on his body was thinner. Like you could see his his skin through through the hair on his body, and uh, and he was thinner than the others. Like when the first time I saw him, I actually wasn't sure if I was seeing like. A homeless person or somebody that was living out in the woods you know secretly like I, I wasn't sure what i was seeing because it didn't look like the others but it seemed to be a part of that that family group you know which was what threw me off in the beginning and uh, so i realized 
I realized pretty quick early on in 2013 that there's, there's probably a lot of variances because what I what I eventually um, put together was that 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 group was a family unit, and I was seeing all these variations within five individuals that were probably a family group. So I would expect that everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, so do you? You know, do you want to fill some pe- fill everybody in on? Some of the really cool stuff that uh, is going on at the 400. I guess that's what you, that's your term for the place where you're doing the research, right? You call it the call it the 400. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are going to say, "Oh, how could Sasquatch, a group of Sasquatch, live on 400 acres?" Well, it's we call it the 400. That's the private property part of it that that we do most of our work on. But there's another 700 acres on one side. There's uh, you know, it's like a 300 acre private property on, on, an, on another area near it. There's, um, uh, a big portion of it is national forest. So it's not just 400 acres that we have access to and that we've been doing this on, but over this five year period, we've drawn them into this 400 acre area. Um, you know, that's where we first discovered them, but we've been able to draw them in. So we don't have to go like hike into these other areas and on these other properties to, to, uh, to work on the habituation. They come to us now. And I know this sounds crazy, but like, I just have to tell it like it is, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, uh, basically we have camp, we have a camp, like a base camp set up and we've actually moved it at one point and we're getting ready to move it again. Um, but it's like we move camp when we get to certain, certain areas within our system and, um, we do it for our advantage, basically like where our base camp is right now. Um, we're back to the Creek. So we have, we have, um, a Creek on the North side. We have a Ridge on the South side and then we have thicket around us. So it gives this buffer zone, right? Um, if they're feeling real uneasy, they can stay on the other side of the creek or they can watch us from the the uh, ridge behind us. Or, you know, if they're feeling real good, they can come in around the thickets in camp that are around camp. So <clears throat> once we get to a point, we move camp and where we move the next where we move tam- camp to the next time only has one area where they can get in close without being seen. So it it, it takes takes all those buffer zones out if that makes sense so if they come in around camp at that point there's only one area they can come in without being seen so it narrows down where we need to look right and um we are baiting them that's all part of this also and this is how we you know one of the reasons we think that they uh started coming in around camp um and just it seems like they're interested in us and what we're doing and uh, me and Randy in the past have called them people watchers. It, it seems as though they enjoy just hanging out and watching people. Um, you know, maybe if they're in an area, they're watching us for safety reasons. Uh, but, you know, it seems to be that way. But uh, over time, over this five-year period, I've um, brought in other people. I got Randy Harrington and Harrington involved. I've tried a few other researchers over time and you know, it just didn't work out. We uh, eventually brought in biologist Dan Nedrelow and um, 
we've went through this system and we got to a point where they would come in around camp, our second camp, where there was only one place to come in unseen. Um, when we would see them on thermal, I would walk out through the thicket and try to basically we would uh, Randy would and the guys at camp will watch them on thermal on a screen. I go out with no with nothing basically. Randy's job is to talk to me through our headsets and lead me to within eight or ten foot of where these things are. So I stop, sit down, turn my back to them, and you know um, try to communicate. Uh, you know, throw the bait, toss the bait in the general direction that they are. And the last time it happened um, before this summer, I was within eight or 10 foot of one. And what had happened is Randy is talking to me. He's telling me, you know, go forward. You're almost there. And then suddenly I come out of the backside of the thicket and Randy says to me, oh crap, you're right where it was. So I'm like, oh crap. (laughs) So I turn around and I'm trying to judge where this thing may have, have went. And as I kind of face the the northwest back towards the thicket, um, this thing starts doing the samurai chatter to me. I say to me because like when you listen to the Sierra sounds, these things that have some distance between Ron Moorhead and the other guys, and they're yelling this stuff, right? Um mm-hmm. This was like this was like common collected as if me and you were talking now, right? So it wasn't it wasn't yelled. Um, it was it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. Um, like I'd already I'd already built myself up to this point where I was okay with walking out and trying to be close to these things. When that happened, it sent a chill down my spine. You know, <laughs> caught me off guard. And Randy and Dan. And the other guy was that was there was like, you know, um, we don't know what that meant. Pull out, come back to camp. So I come back to camp and, um, you know, that that day and night that everything started about two o'clock that day. But um, that whole night was just un- unbelievable. And um, now the two juvies that we were doing that stuff with are not on the property anymore. They're not we're not finding their tracks and we're finding the tracks of us, there was a individual with six inch tracks. Its tracks are now nine and a half inches. And there's a new individual that has six inch tracks. So now we're going back through this process that we've already been through with these other two juveniles who aren't showing up anymore. And we're kind of rehabituating these, these, these two younger ones now, uh, mainly focusing long-term. We're going to be focusing on one with the six inch tracks because that gives us more habituation time with it. And with any luck, you know, the, the one that has the nine and a half inch trucks now tracks now, um, watched the other two interacting with us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're this summer, we've, we've already, we already collected some thermals. We collected, um, <clears throat> we, we, we did not catch the samurai chatter, uh, on recorders the first time it happened. Uh, this summer we actually captured it and, we um we gave that to Scott Nelson. He has it and he's studying it right now. <clears throat> he's breaking it down into uh you know different phonetics and seeing what he can match to the Sierra sounds, if any. And uh if he can, you know, that'll be a big deal because he's uh he's been waiting for something to come along that matches the Sierra sounds for a long time. And uh, you know, if it if he can't pull language out of it, 
<clears throat> which is what we need. It, <clears throat> and thus far, what he's seeing um, without slowing it down is it sounds like the chatter that was happening in the Sierra sounds, not the actual language. So we just have to do better. We have to we have to collect audio of the language, you know, that he can pull apart and match up. And um, we're we're working on that now as we speak. We uh, we have these recorders that look like logs that Randy built. So we can just take these small logs out and just set them down randomly and they just blend in with everything. They have real bark on them and they literally just look like a small log. So these areas where we're collecting these 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 sounds, um, we're getting we're not just getting that type of stuff. Like we're not getting chatter. We're not getting just that. We're getting all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, no. it, it would take me hours. It would take me hours to tell you all the things that we've collected in this one area where all these sounds are happening. Um, so when you're out there standing, um, and this thing starts talking to you or trying to communicate or what I, or, or just it's saying, so I, I guess I should choose my words carefully. So, so somebody listening doesn't say, you know, they're not trying you know, whatever, you know, people can pick everything you say apart, but uh, yeah, what I, what I'm wondering is, is so at a time out there, do you, you got to know that the adults in this situation are not far from wherever these kids are. These kids yeah. Are. So let's let, let, let me, let me hit that topic real quick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first time Dan Nedrolo came out, um, we got him out onto the property. He drove down from Wisconsin, um, on his own dime to, to come out and see what was happening. Right. We got him there at, I believe it was two thirty. It was either two thirty or three thirty. I believe it was two thirty. And at three thirty, we had him a thousand yards from camp, and we had a juvenile pinned down in high grass, and it couldn't go anywhere without being seen. Like literally, it was behind a, a big patch of grass, and to the right and to the left was none. Like it, it would have to expose itself, and we were a hundred foot from it, and it was the first time that I did my quote-unquote walk out to one of these things and dan got to see that the first time that we tried it and the next morning we went back to and that's a whole i'd have to tell that story but the next morning um we went back to to do a recreation of it and um you know put me in its in its spot and all this stuff and take daytime photos and video of all this stuff that that it uh where it had occurred and whatnot and after we got done with that we went out and started casing the thicket behind where this happened, and the mother's tracks were about 30 foot, 25, 30 foot behind. Actually, while this was happening, I had a rock thrown at me, and it was about a 15-minute ordeal. And the the one, the juvie that was on the ground laying down on its belly trying to hide clacked its teeth, or I can't say that positively, but that's what it sounded like. It was very loud, but that's the only thing that I could my mind could could attribute it to is it clacked its teeth together and then a rock came flying out and landed right beside me and I, I I immediately turned and walked back to the guys like that was my sign to vacate right that they'd had enough so we determined from the trajectory of the rock and where we found the the large female tracks the large females tracks uh in the thicket she was just out of view of the thermal and um she had thrown that rock most likely. So she was there. She actually watched, you know, we assume that 
she watched this happen. She watched me walk out, you know, that when I first went out, I went about halfway. You got to remember, this is the first time I did this. And I'll tell you, I'll add a funny little tidbit in here. I walk out, you know, it's about a hundred feet away from us. I walk up, walk out about 50 foot. And the whole idea was I'm going to go out about halfway, sit down with my back to it. And that's it. The first time, right? I go out, I turn back towards Randy and Dan and I go to sit down and my body wouldn't let me like the bottoms of my feet did not want to allow my butt to touch the ground. <laughs> oh, and, uh, <laughs> so I'm sitting here in a squatting position, you know, trying to talk myself into sitting down completely. And, uh, I just couldn't do it in that moment. So I spent a few minutes out there and Randy's just telling me how this thing is reacting. Cause it's popping its head up above the grass, you know, to see what's happening. And uh, at that point, you know, he's like, it's a, uh, it's moving faster. It's popping its head up and down faster. You know, it looks like it's nervous. So I walked back to the guys and then, uh, I told Randy, you know, this is, uh, this could be the only time that we ever get a chance to do this. I'm going to see how close I can get. And I, I ended up getting about seven, eight foot from it. And, um, I hit it with the flashlight. I hit its face with the flashlight three times. And, um, Anyway, it was a crazy experience, but uh, yes, when the juvies are out around camp doing what they do with us, um, it seems as though the mother is always around, like keeping an eye on things. Wow. So when you got up to that one that close and hit its feet, does it take off and just run or do you, does it not move and you're just like, well, I better, I'm going to have to leave? Like what happened? No, what no, no. Like I said, this was a 15 minute ordeal. Um, the first time I hit its face, like it, the grass was like um, two and a half, three foot tall. Yeah. So it was like, it was pushing up and it was, it was, it wasn't coming up completely above the grass, but like the lower you went in the grass, the thicker it was. And it was kind of a, it was in October. It was a chilly night and it was real, uh, real uh, damp outside. And, um, so I was just seeing its face like through the the upper part of the grass, if that makes sense. Yeah. But okay. when, here's here's an interesting tidbit: is you hear you hear people saying, "Oh, their eyes are this color, their eyes were this color," and the light, you know, when light hits it, and blah blah blah. I hit its I hit its face three times with the flashlight that night, and every single time, the shine off the eyes was gold, and there was like a silver sheen in the center where the pupil would be. Hmm. That's an odd one. I, I don't know that I've heard too many people say that it was gold. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, huh. Okay. Well, that's different. I don't know what that's all about for sure. Me neither. Me neither. Just a interesting tidbit. Like that's, that's one of the things we, so after the, after the teeth clack and the rock, I turned around, went back to the guys, and instead of hanging out, you know, like we were really worried about pushing too hard because of my last adventure, you know, in my in the old area that I was researching. And Randy was really, really worried about pushing too hard. Like he didn't even really want me to walk out to it that night. He was kind of against it. He didn't think it was the timing was right. Um, but I, I did it anyway. So uh, I overruled him on that evening. <laughs> so we vacated and went back to camp and evidently they followed us back down the ridge line. Um, we're headed east and they're, they're, the ridge line runs east and west. So 
we get back to camp they go sit up underneath the canopy i run out to the tent and as i'm coming back over to the canopy where they are as i'm walking by the side by side a rock hits hits the other side of the side by side so they, it came from the ridge and um you know we all stop and look up the ridge kind of laugh and i go sit down with the guys and another rock flies down and hits the side by side again and uh and that was it like it was like they were telling us you know we followed you back you know you had us we got you or something you know who knows but they they literally followed us back to camp that night and uh randy was stoked about that because he felt like you know we didn't push too hard at that point well um i'll tell you what this sounds um like every Bigfooter's dream, for sure. It is. It is. It, it's. It's. I and I gotta be honest. I'm just gonna call Daniel out. I think he named you Bigfooter of the Year, so he gets invited out to the property. I mean, it's, it's funny. That. It's it's funny you say that. Um, we actually extended that possible <laughs> offer out to him. Um, we have. I don't want to say too much about it right now, but he may be coming to Southwest Missouri next year for another Bigfoot related thing. And um, we did throw at him the possibility of uh, him getting out in the woods with us in the 400 while he's down in this area. So that, that would but be that pretty was, cool. That was, that, I'll say that was after that was after I believe when that invite happened. So it didn't have anything with Big, big <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, before we end up here, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, like kind of share with everybody or tell them what, where your next focus is? Uh, you know, like what, what what is something you'd really like to um, prove? Obviously, you said, you know, you want to prove their existence without getting a body. But I mean, what? How close do you think you are to some of that stuff? Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you. We've we've had to kind of backpedal a little bit and go back and do some, start doing some things that we've already done because we're 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 kind of we're going back through the aspect of kind of habituating two new individuals to an extent. Mm-hmm. And going and going back through some of that process, not all the way back to the beginning, but back through some of that process, um, trying to get it back to where it was. And that's going to take some time, of course. Um, the cool thing about it, though, is we a few years ago, I had a Hollywood director reach out to me and he was a Bigfoot junkie kind of in the closet about it somewhat. And um, we've developed a friendship over the years and I invited him out to experience these things for real um because he hasn't and uh, he believes he's a, he's a believer without the experience but um anyway organically it turned into uh, a situation where we now have he's a director producer we have another um director producer who is a emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker and her cam- her personal camera lady the three of them are tagging along with us now and we're filming a docu-series um where it'll hit and when it'll hit, I have no idea. But um, you know, she's done a lot of a lot of work. They've both done a lot of work with a lot of big people and a lot of big uh, a lot of big channels. You know, so we don't know where it's going to come out and when, but eventually it will. And they're basically uh, 
tagging along with us and having these experiences with us now. Um, one of one of the directors came in as a skeptic, and um, she's still a skeptic at this point. You know, they've only they've only been out with us once thus, thus far, but we're getting ready to uh, start doing like ten days a month. Uh, so, and we're filming in the process too. Me and Randy, you know, film all the time too. But uh, they're out with us for like ten days a month, starting starting the first week of February. And uh, our plan is to film through late, late this year, and uh, and see where it goes. You know, if it if it gets picked up, our hope is that you know we'll uh, we will not have to foot the bill to keep doing what we're doing, um, and that you know that'll help our situation. And like right now, it's like we can't do this full time because. We all work and we all have you know, jobs, me and Randy, you know, so it's not like we can just do this, go out for a month and stay on the property. Um, if we could do that, um, we would do that. And we have the ability to do that. Like we could live out there. Literally, we could stay out there nonstop for six months. And if we were if we were put in a situation like that, I believe it would it would definitely pick up the pace of the things that are happening and the things that will happen. So. We'll see what happens, you know. Um, worst case scenario, people are going to get to see some of the things that that we're uh, that we're collecting, the data that we're collecting. They're going to get to uh, meet some of the academics that are working with us, and maybe see some of the processes they're going through with our data and whatnot. And um, you know, people will just get, they'll get to tag along with us and see how we're doing it and what we're doing and see what's actually happening while we're out there. Um, the samurai chatter that we captured uh, was just a couple months ago and the film crew was with us. Uh, oh, that's kind of. Yeah. Alex, 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 who's one of the directors, he's listened to the Sierra sounds like multiple times over the years. And first time he comes in, he gets to hear that firsthand. And um, when it happened, it was actually me and him alone. He was, so the situation we were in, real quick, everybody else and Randy were in the dried up creek bed and they had launched the drone from there while me and Alex took off down the trail where we catch these things a lot. And Randy's flying ahead with the thermal drone looking for hot spots to tell me which, you know, which thicket to go into. <clears throat> and on the way back, um, we had lost we actually lost communication on our headsets. So Randy went on down to the destination and come back down the Creek. We got to our destination and come back about a quarter of the way. And I stopped to do a thermal scan and I'm watching a hot spot up on the Ridge, <clears throat> but I can't see what it is. Cause I'm looking through trees in a thicket and, uh, he's filming of course. And we captured that audio on video. So first time cool. out with this, they're experiencing all these crazy things, you know, and, um, they're like in for the long haul. They, they're pumped. They're super excited about it. And they, you know, the, all three of them are like, this is the best job we could ever take on because like they're out having fun with us camping, you know, it's almost like a vacation except at night, you know, we do stay up late, late, sometimes till sunup. <laughs> well, Hey, if you don't got to go to work the next day, it, you can do that. Right. And that's the right. ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. I think that's everybody's ultimate goal. Whether you're 
whether you're Bigfoot or not, I think that's everybody's ultimate goal. Stay up all night and not have to go to work the next day. But right, uh, right. But my, but my buddies big, are my buddies are like, you're trying to get paid to go camping, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you blame I mean, I don't blame you. You know, if you if I could get to do that, I'd I don't know about camping. I'm not a big camper, but I would go out, you know. I <laughs> I, I would go uh I would go out at least once and check it out and see uh you know, see what was, uh, see what was going on for sure. Cause it, um, well, know, me and anything. me and Randy, have, me and Randy have purposely stayed away from the money side of this, this subject. Um, cause we don't want people to take that as, you know, these yeah. guys are doing it for the money and stuff. Um, we've actually turned down money. We've had multiple people, like we've had several people offer us thousands and thousands of dollars just to help us. Um, but I always feel like if somebody was to give us money and we accepted it, that I owe them something, you know, and I don't yeah. not in, 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 and they're trying to give us this money for free, but it's just how I would feel about it. You know, I would feel like I owe them something. So I'm not, I'm not good at taking money from people. So we've gotten into a situation where like, if we, this is, this is a long-term project, of course, but if we were in a situation where we could do this full time, and not have to worry about going to work every day and paying our bills. Um, like we think, we think we could maybe get this done in a in a year or two. Yeah, at least I, at least at least get to a point where we're getting. I'm getting close to them consistently, and and um, you know, I told you before we got on here that we're having going to have some equipment made where I don't have to carry cameras and whatnot when I'm doing this. They'll all be on me, and um, so it, our hope is that all that will happen and play out and people will get to get to see us go through that whole procedure of getting to that point. Well, I know I, for one, am excited to see what you guys, uh, what you guys come up with. And I think uh, all of our listeners after hearing um, what it is you guys are doing out there and how close you're actually getting, uh, I think it's just a matter of time. And it sounds to me like you might be the guy that, that, that you know, you and Randy might be the two guys that uh, that do it, like that bring some some of the most irrefutable evidence forward. So I, I think we're all excited. I think Daniel's on to something, you know. So, you know, you got a lot to live up to. Well, yeah. you know, and, and that's, know one of the, that's one of the reasons I've ran under the radar for so long, because I don't I don't like putting that kind of stuff on my shoulders, like having to live up to something, you know, <laughs> and uh so, so that's kind of the bad side of it. You know, people are going to be looking more at us now and you know, really, okay. really, and it, we've already got people, you know, well, you guys are saying all this stuff, but you're not producing the evidence. Well, that's because our evidence and our data is going to academic people that are smarter than us. You know, like, um, you hear from the critical thinkers and the people that are, um, you know, thinking along the lines of science, uh, you know, they want, they expect you to go that route, the scientific route. And then when you do, they're hollering because you're not showing them anything. You're not, you know, you're saying this stuff, but you're not proving it. So we just like, we don't care anymore. We don't care what people think. We don't care what they say. We've been doing what we're doing, running under the radar for so long. And that's, that's what we're going to continue to do. We're just going to keep doing what we do, you know? And at some point we'll either fail miserably or, or we won't. And either way, we're cool with it. You know, like me and Randy have already had so many great experiences that it could stop now and it'd all be worth it. Um, and we'll continue doing it in other places. And because there are other places, 
Well, I, I'm going to tell you what. I got money on it that you guys are going to succeed. And I don't know if I'd do that. I'm not a betting man. <laughs> well, I am. I am, and I'm putting money on it. So there you go. There you go. But uh, no, Shane, hey, I, again, congratulations on Bigfooter of the Year from Daniel and the Bigfoot Times. And thank you for uh, coming on and sharing all this stuff because um, this is, I mean, I think people are going to, like I said, they're going to hear this and they're going to be, have their eyes out for what it is you're going to come up with uh, next. Because I do, I think, I think, I think you guys are on the verge of, uh, of producing some legit irrefutable evidence. That's what I think. So I appreciate that. So for for whatever what I think is worth, that's what I think. So so, but I do appreciate you coming on and uh, hanging out and uh, sharing your uh, sharing your experiences and what you're doing. And um, like I said, we'll be looking looking for some big things from you. Awesome, awesome. Hopefully, we can uh, live up to that. I, I think you will. I think you will. So, well, thanks. Again. Only time will tell, my friend. Only time will tell. <laughs> all right well thanks again and uh you know we'll stay in touch awesome appreciate you and you have a good night thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the from the shadows podcast until next time never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows we are out (laughs) God only knows what's hiding in our shadows As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Don't search, match with Indeed When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.